Chapter Eleven, Part One of Constance Dunlap by Arthur B. Reeve. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Dope Fiends. I have a terrible headache, remarked Constance Dunlap to her friend Adele Gordon, the petite cabaret singer and dancer of the Mayfair, who had dropped in to see her one afternoon. You poor, dear creature, soothed Adele. Why don't you go see Dr. Price? He has cured me. He's splendid, splendid. Constance hesitated. Dr. Moreland Price was a well-known physician. All day and even at night, she knew, automobiles and cabs rolled up to his door and their occupants were, for the most part, stylishly gowned women. Oh, come on, urged Adele. He doesn't charge as highly as people seem to think. Besides, I'll go with you and introduce you. And he'll charge only as he does the rest of us in the profession. Constance's head throbbed frantically. She felt that she must have some relief soon. All right, she agreed. I'll go with you, and thank you, Adele. Dr. Price's office was on the first floor of the fashionable Recherche apartments, and, as she expected, Constance noted a line of motor-cars before it. They entered and were admitted to a richly furnished room in mahogany and expensive Persian rugs, where a number of patients waited. One after another an attendant summoned them noiselessly and politely to see the doctor, until at last the turn of Constance and Adele came. Dr. Price was a youngish, middle-aged man, tall, with a sallow countenance, and a self-confident, polished manner, which went a long way in reassuring the patients, most of whom were ladies. As they entered the doctor's sanctum behind the folding doors, Adele seemed to be on very good terms indeed with him. They seated themselves in the deep leather chairs beside Dr. Price's desk, and he inclined his head to listen to the story of their ailments. "'Doctor,' began Constance's introducer, "'I've brought my friend, Mrs. Dunlap, who is suffering from one of those awful headaches. I thought perhaps you could give her some of that medicine that has done me so much good.' The doctor bowed without saying anything, and shifted his eyes from Adele to Constance. "'Just what seems to be the difficulty?' he inquired. Constance told him how she felt, of her general lassitude, and the big, throbbing veins in her temples. "'Ah, a woman's headaches,' he smiled, adding. "'Nothing serious, however, in this case, as far as I can see. We can fix this one all right, I think.' He wrote out a prescription quickly and handed it to Constance. "'Of course,' he added as he pocketed his fee. "'It makes no difference to me personally, but I would advise that you have it filled at Muller's. Miss Gordon knows the place. I think Muller's drugs are perhaps fresher than those of most druggists.' and that makes a great deal of difference. He had risen and was politely and suavely bowing them out of another door, at the same time by pressing a button signifying to his attendant to admit the next patient. Constance had preceded Adele, and as she passed through the other door she overheard the doctor whisper to her friend, I'm going to stop for you tonight to take a ride. I have something important I want to say to you. She did not catch Adele's answer, but as they left the marble and onyx brass-grilled entrance, Adele remarked, that's his car, over there. Oh, but he is a reckless driver, dashes along pell-mell, but always seems to have his eye out for everything, never seems to be arrested, never in an accident. Constance turned in the direction of the car and was startled to see the familiar face of Drummond across the street, dodging behind it. What was it now, she wondered, a divorce case, a scandal, what? The medicine was made up into little powders, to be taken until they gave relief, and Constance folded the paper of one poured it on the back of her tongue, and swallowed a glass of water afterward. Her head continued to throb, but she felt a sense of well-being that she had not before, 
Adele urged her to take another, and Constance did so. The second powder increased the effect of the first marvelously, but Constance noticed that she now began to feel queer. She was not used to taking medicine. For a moment she felt that she was above, beyond the reach of ordinary rules and laws. She could have done any sort of physical task, she felt, no matter how difficult. She was amazed at herself, as compared to what she had been only a few moments before. "'Another one?' asked Adele finally. Constance was by this time genuinely alarmed at the sudden, unwanted effect on herself. "'No,' she replied dubiously. "'I don't think I want to take any more, just yet.' "'Not another?' asked Adele in surprise. "'I wish they would affect me that way. Sometimes I have to take the whole dozen before they have any effect.' They chatted for a few minutes, and finally Adele rose. "'Well,' she remarked with a nervous twitching of her body, as if she were eager to be doing something, "'I really must be going. I can't say I feel any too well myself.' "'I think I'll take a walk with you,' answered Constance, who did not like the continued effect of the two powders. "'I feel the need of exercise and air.' Adele hesitated, but Constance already had her hat on. She had seen Drummond watching Dr. Price's door, and it interested her to know whether he could possibly have been following Adele or someone else. As they walked along, Adele quickened her pace, until they came again to the drugstore. "'I believe I'll go in and get something,' she remarked, pausing. For the first time in several minutes, Constance looked at the face of her friend. She was amazed to discover that Adele looked as if she had had a spell of sickness. Her eyes were large and glassy, her skin cold and sweaty, and she looked positively pallid and thin. As they entered the store, Muller, the druggist, bowed again, and looked at Adele a moment as she leaned over the counter and whispered something to him. Without a word, he went into the arcana behind the partition that cuts off the mysteries of the prescription room in every drug store from the front of the store. When Muller returned, he handed her a packet, for which she paid, and which she dropped quickly into her pocketbook, hugging the pocketbook close to herself. Adele turned and was about to hurry from the store with Constance. "'Oh, excuse me,' she said suddenly, as if she had just recollected something. "'I promised a friend of mine I telephoned this afternoon, and I have forgotten to do it. I see a pay station here.' Constance waited. Adele returned much quicker than one would have expected she could call up a number, but Constance thought nothing of it at the time. She did notice, however, that as her friend emerged from the booth, a most marvelous change had taken place in her. Her step was firm, her eye clear, her hand steady. Whatever it was, reasoned Constance, it could not have been serious to have disappeared so quickly. It was with some curiosity as to just what she might expect that Constance went around to the famous cabaret that night. The Mayfair occupied two floors of what had been a wide brownstone house before business and pleasure had crowded the residence district further and further uptown. It was a very well-known bohemian rendezvous, where under, demi, and upper world, rubbed elbows without friction, and seemed to enjoy the novelty and be willing to pay for it. Adele, who was one of the performers, had not arrived yet, but Constance, who had come with her mind still full of the two unexpected encounters with Drummond, was startled to see him here again. Fortunately, he did not see her, and she slipped unobserved into an angle near the window, overlooking the street. Drummond had been engrossed in watching someone already there, and Constance made the best use she could of her eyes to determine who it was. The outdoor walk and a good dinner had checked her headache, and now the excitement of the chase of something, she knew not what, completed the cure. 
It was not long before she discovered that Drummond was watching intently, without seeming to do so, a nervous-looking fellow whose general washed-out appearance of face was especially unattractive for some reason or other. He was very thin, very pale, and very starry about the eyes. Then, too, it seemed as if the bone in his nose was going, due perhaps to the shrinkage of the blood vessels from some cause. Constance noticed a couple of girls whom she had seen Adele speak to on several other occasions approaching the young man. There came an opportune lull in the music, and from around the corner of her protecting angle, Constance could just catch the greeting of one of the girls. "'Hello, sleigh bells! Got any snow?' It was a remark that seemed particularly mal-apropos to the sultry weather, and Constance half expected a burst of laughter at the unexpected sally. Instead, she was surprised to hear the young man reply in a very serious and matter-of-fact manner. "'Sure. Got any money, May?' She craned her neck, carefully avoiding coming into Drummond's line of vision, and as she did so, she saw two silver quarters gleam momentarily from hand to hand, and the young man passed each girl stealthily a small white paper packet. Others came to him, both men and women. It seemed to be an established thing, and Constance noted that Drummond watched it all covertly. "'Who is that?' asked Constance of the waiter, who had served her sometimes when she had been with Adele and knew her. "'Why, they call him Sleighbells Charlie,' he replied. "'A coke fiend.' "'Which means a cocaine fiend, I suppose?' she queried. "'Yes. He's a lobby gal for the grapevine system they have now of selling the dope in spite of this new law.' "'Where does he get the stuff?' she asked. The waiter shrugged his shoulders. "'Nobody knows, I guess. I don't. But he gets it in spite of the law and peddles it. Oh, it's all adulterated, with some white stuff, I don't know what, and the price they charge is outrageous.' They must make an ounce retail at five or six times the cost. Oh, you can bet that someone who is at the top is making a pile of money out of that graft, all right. He said it, not with any air of righteous indignation, but with a certain envy. Constance was thinking the thing over in her mind. Where did the coke come from? The grapevine system interested her. Sleighbell seemed to have disposed of all the coke he had brought with him. As the last packet went, he rose slowly and shuffled out. Constance, who knew that Adele would not come for some time, determined to follow him. She rose quietly, and under cover of a party going out, managed to disappear without, as far as she knew, letting Drummond catch a glimpse of her. This would not only employ her time, but it was better to avoid Drummond as far as possible, at present, too, she felt. At a distance of about half a block she followed the curiously shuffling figure. He crossed the avenue, turned and went uptown, turned again, and before she knew it, disappeared in a drugstore. She had been so engrossed in following the lobby gal that it was with a start that she realized that he had entered Muller's. What did it all mean? Was the druggist Muller the man higher up? She recalled suddenly her own experience of the afternoon. Had Muller tried to palm off something on her? The more she thought of it, the more sure she was that the powder she had taken had been doped. Slowly, turning the matter over in her mind, she returned to the Mayfair. As she peered in cautiously before entering, she saw that Drummond had gone. Adele had not come in yet, and she went in and sat down again in her old place. Perhaps half an hour later, outside, she heard a car drive up with a furious rattle of gears. She looked out of the window, and, as far as she could determine in the shadows, it was Dr. Price. A woman got out, Adele. For a moment she stopped to talk, then Dr. Price waved a gay goodbye and was off, all she could catch was a hasty, No, I don't think I'd better come in tonight. 
from him. As Adele entered the Mayfair, she glanced about, caught sight of Constance, and came and sat down by her. It would have been impossible for her to enter unobserved, so popular was she. It was not long before the two girls whom Constance had seen dealing with sleigh bells sauntered over. "'Your friend was here tonight,' remarked one to Adele. "'Which one?' laughed Adele. "'The one who admired your dancing the other night and wanted to take lessons.' "'You mean the young fellow who was selling something?' asked Constance pointedly. "'Oh, no,' returned the girl quite casually. "'That was sleigh bells.' And they all laughed. Constance thought immediately of Drummond. "'The other one, then,' she said. "'The thick-set man who was all alone?' "'Yes, he went away afterward. Do you know him?' "'I've seen him somewhere,' evaded Constance. "'But I just can't quite place him.' She had not noticed Adele particularly until now. Under the light she had a peculiar worn look, the same as she had had before. The waiter came up to them. "'Your turn is next,' he hinted to Adele. "'Excuse me a minute,' she apologized to the rest of the party. "'I must fix up a bit.' "'No,' she added to Constance. "'Don't come with me.' She returned from the dressing-room a different person, and plunged into the wild dance for which the limited orchestra was already tuning up. It was a veritable riot of whirl and rhythm. Never before had Constance seen Adele dance with such abandon. As she executed the wild mazes of a newly imported dance, she held even the jaded Mayfair spellbound. And when she concluded with one daring figure, and sat down, flushed and excited, the diners applauded and even shouted approval. It was an event for even the dance-mad Mayfair. Constance did not share in the applause. At last she understood. Adele was a dope fiend, too. She felt it with a sense of pain. Always, she knew, the fiends tried to get away alone, somewhere for a few minutes, to snuff some of their favorite nepenthe. She had heard before of the cocaine snuffers, who took a little of the deadly powder, placed it on the back of the hand, and inhaled it up the nose with a quick intake of breath. Adele was one. It was not Adele who danced. It was the dope. Constance was determined to speak. "'You remember that man the girls spoke of?' she began. "'Yes, what of him?' asked Adele, with almost a note of defiance. "'Well, I really do know him,' confessed Constance. "'He is a detective.' Constance watched her companion curiously, for at the mere word she had stopped short and faced her. "'He is?' she asked quickly. "'Then that was why, Dr. Price—' She managed to suppress the remark and continued her walk home without another word. In Adele's little apartment, Constance was quick to note that the same haggard look had returned to her friend's face. Adele had reached for her pocketbook with a sort of clutching eagerness and was about to leave the room. Constance rose. "'Why don't you give up the stuff?' she asked earnestly. "'Don't you want to?' For a moment Adele faced her angrily. Then her real nature seemed slowly to come to the surface. "'Yes,' she murmured frankly. "'Then why don't you?' pleaded Constance. "'I haven't the power. There is an indescribable excitement to do something great, to make a mark. It's soon gone. But while it lasts, I can sing, dance, do anything. And then every part of my body begins crying for more of the stuff again.' There was no longer any necessity of concealment from Constance. She took a pinch of the stuff, placed it on the back of her wrist, and quickly sniffed it. The change in her was magical. From a quivering, wretched girl, she became a self-confident neurasthenic. "'I don't care,' she laughed hollowly now. "'Yes, I know what you're going to tell me. Soon I'll be hunting the cocaine bug, as they call it, imagining that in my skin, under the flesh, are worms crawling, 
perhaps see them see the little animals running around and biting me she said it with a half reckless cynicism oh you don't know there are two souls in the cocainist one tortured by the pain of not having the stuff the other laughing and mocking at the dangers of it it stimulates it makes your mind work without effort by itself and it gives such visions of success makes you feel able to do so much and to forget all the girls use it where do they get it asked constance i thought the new law prohibited it get it repeated adele why they get it from that fellow they call sleighbells they call it snow you know and the girls who use it snowbirds the law does prohibit its sale but she paused significantly yes agreed constance but sleighbells is only a part of the system after all who is the man at the top adele shrugged her shoulders and was silent still constance did not fail to note a sudden look of suspicion which adele shot at her was adele shielding someone constance knew that someone must be getting rich from the traffic probably selling hundreds of ounces a week and making thousands of dollars somehow she felt a sort of indignation at the whole thing who was it who was the man higher up end of part one of chapter eleven